It's Sara. Which Sara? Notes. Oh, I hope so. We need someone to write the notes. Bachari. All right, folks. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wa laaqibatu lil-mutaqin. Wa laa'idwana illa al-adhalimin. Wa salamatullahi wa salamuhu. Wa laa'ashraf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen. Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. Wa anta tajrul hazna. Ida shi'at sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika. Wa husna ibadatik. Ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, everybody. Good evening to... Good earlier than normal evening to folks in Philippines, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Pakistan, in uh, all these areas, mashallah, in Hong Kong. Not early evening, late evening, but at least yani, in sunny time-ish. And as for the UK folks, what is it over there? Yeah, Maghrib's kicked in, it's gone. So they got a good, uh, they got an evening start. I think UK folks have got nothing to complain about. 7 p.m. is an evening time. And the states folks behind the machine, they're like, what's going on? This is neither tea or neither lunch, nothing. And that's what the folks in Calgary or whatever, whatnot, this is like breakfast for them. They don't know what's going on there either. But Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Oh my God. You see, we tried our best, Aisha, yeah? And we still couldn't get it earlier than 2 a.m. for her. 2 a.m. My goodness. So anyway, Alhamdulillah. Um, we are in... Um, and Bilal's like, yeah, this feels weird. <laughs> it does feel weird. Tuesday and 7 o'clock. But Alhamdulillah, LP is LP, it's the content, it's the people. So we have LP students here, MashaAllah, from the UK, uh, from America, from Memphis, MashaAllah. We have Sweden, Qatar, we have Canada. So, you know, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. And by the way, I've been so busy. Do you know how busy I've been? I didn't even know that Pakistan beat New Zealand. Oh? Yeah. I didn't even know that. And I said to Danish that I don't know the last time that I didn't even know that there was a game on that day. That's how mental today has been. Alhamdulillah. So the content is there. The people is there. The spirit's there. We're in the, the, the city of knowledge. This is the city of Medina al-Manawara. Bashir Nebuwe is just there to our right-hand side. And it's been a great program. And um, I hope that all of you can get the chance to come soon. Uh, there are some unique kind of realities to the current time. I'm not going to lie, I mean, we're just incredibly privileged, uh, you know, I mean, passport-wise, if you can get the tourist visa and you can afford the cost, you're getting basically exclusive access virtually every time that we pray. I didn't actually ask about the women's prayer. Uh, how many lines are there? Well, like, what's the number of lines? Three or four lines. No, no, not Rauda. In the most, in the, in the, in the women's section. So, okay, so you still got, you got the blocks at the back still. You've only got three, four lines of women. So imagine that. So that's about as close as you can get in the female section. From the men, we're like, uh, well, you can always get to the fifth, sixth line to the Rauda. And, you know, and if you're lazy, then you're back 15, 20. So it's very empty, and if you get into the Rauda, that's absolutely insane. You get lots of space and all the rest of it. And, um, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, the Umrah seems to be, we're going to find out tomorrow. We're leaving for Umrah tomorrow, but that looks okay as well, easy to book. Um, everybody's receiving their booking. 
uh, whether on a tourist visa, the Umrah visa obviously guarantees it. So it's just, you know, it's weird because it's open and so that's what you want and it's busy, which is what you want, no social distancing, but there's no queues, there's no delays, there's no waiting. So Alhamdulillah, it's, uh, it's really uh, amazing actually, amazing. Uh, next program inshallah is going to be December um, at the end and then inshallah in Ramadan. In Ramadan we're going to do it for the first time and um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, by the way, um, it might be a little bit noisy because we are in a public area or we're in the restaurant area so it is surrounded by folks that are doing their kind of work and uh, whatever. Um, also, I want to say that Zakallah uh, Tanweer, who maintained the Sunnah of the LP, even though this is his first LP session, this is his first LP session, and yet he knew from his fitra that the Sunnah of our class is chocolate. So, Alhamdulillah, well done. Galaxy Hazanat. Although, Mahboob, MashaAllah, Tabarak Rahman, because he's a seasoned LP student, he did everybody proud. He maintained the sunnah. This is the kind of classes we do, by the way, for me. You understand? Oh, oh my God. Dime. The worst chocolate ever. Literally. No, man. You just did Sweden's best, man. Dime. You know, by the way, Sweden chocolate really surprised me. There's some really good stuff there. Not dime, bro. All right. Have you heard Dime before? Have you even heard of Dime? Okay, all right. So America, America has signed out of Dime. All right. Okay. From the yeah, London obviously. From the yeah, Nigeria. Any in there? No. Okay. Khalas, Nigeria signed out. Fatima, have you heard of it? Okay. America signed out. Lala, you've heard of it obviously. Of course you have, man. Don't try and get all. Okay. Tell me, what do you think of this taste? Is it a chocolate you'd actually choose off the shelf? Out of the 500 there, would you actually even make this 500? No, you wouldn't. No, you just wouldn't, would you? Lala, do you have you had this one? Uh, it's alright. Right. Uh, Danish, have you heard of this? I have. You heard of it in Canada? At IKEA. They sell it IKEA. No way. Yeah. Do they? Do you know what IKEA did today, by the way? Do you hear you know what IKEA? Well, you guys won't know. You know what IKEA did today? We do have it. We have what in IKEA. IKEA? So you didn't see this in IKEA? Okay. IKEA. You guys have you heard this before? No. Okay, there you go. Pakistan has signed out. Okay, <laughs> right? And um, uh, 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 Pakistan and Pakistan. No, no, there's no camera. There. Sit down. Um, what was I going to say? You know what IKEA did today? They bought the Topshop building on Oxford Street. The whole building. 378 million pounds. Can you believe that? On Oxford Street. That means that they're making money out of this bagwas. You see that? <laughs> this is the greatest fraud of, of, of complete... Oh, he came good. That's a Zabadast Come on. That's it. You see, you saved the show there, alhamdulillah. Anyway, we missed live sessions, man. Live sessions, LP, throw chocolates everywhere, buzz. Anyway, so the people online, they think what's going on. They don't think what's going on. They know this is our sunnah. Have a nice time and relaxing chocolate. All right, guys. So, let's start, bidnillah. Um, we are on page 79, text for today. The text I will read for you. No daddies, Yara, no daddies, no murdies. Right. Asif hit it right on the head, man. <laughs> you know what it is? These people are legit. Asif goes, second rate chocolate, not worthy. Second rate chocolate, not worthy. I'm just saying that. Right? Ibrahim says, dime is terrible. Come, 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 come. Poonam, don't get offended. Are you Swedish today or Qatari? What are you? 
Okay, listen. Are you serious that you didn't find a chocolate better than that in your country? What's so good about it? Is that because you never had chocolate in your life before? No. <laughs> Faiza, what, what do you think of dime? I love you know, I'm not going to lie, my wife also loves dime. But then that's the reason that she doesn't know anything about chocolate. She has good taste. She has good taste. She obviously has zero taste. Like, literally zero taste. Right? So, anyway, um, I need to now. If it was caramelish, by actually saying it's caramelish. If it was caramelish, then go add caramel in there. It'd be alright, but it's just got that confusing mixture of hard, very hard. It's a confused chocolate, and that's the that's the that's the, that's the horrible part about it. All right, now let's find the thing, guys. Come on, no, no, come, 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 man. In closer, that's miles away. Yalla, uh, I think come here. I should come this side. There we go. All right. Last. I know guys are online getting irritated, but this is very, very important. Iman, come here. Take this, sit nice and close. Iman, have you heard this before? No? Never seen it before ever, yeah? Okay, there we go. So America doesn't even know what the hell's going on there. Right, Reem, where did you see this? Ikea. Have you had it? And? You like it? Is that because you never had chocolate before? Right, okay. Juaidia, last, last person being asked. You like dime? Is that because you never had chocolate either? I know you're not a chocolate connoisseur, you didn't have to tell me that. <laughs> right, okay then. So, Arif, you are, you are rejected. Right, okay. The Zad al-Mustaqni text. Today's text, we are covering, and I will read it out in the Arabic. Uh, today's text. Well, let me read the entire section. وَالصَّلَاةُ اللَّيْلِ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ صَلَاةِ النَّهَارِ وَأَفْضَلُهَا ثُلُثُ اللَّيْلِ بَعْدَ نُصْفِهِ وَالصَّلَاةُ لَيْلٍ وَنَهَارٍ مَثْنَى مَثْنَى وَإِنْ تَطَوَّأَ فِي النَّهَارِ بِأَرْبَعٍ كَالظُّهْرِ فَلَا بَأْسِ وَأَجْرُ صَلَاةِ قَاعِدٍ عَلَى نِصْفِ أَجْرِ الصَّلَاةِ قَائِمٍ وَتُسَنُّ صَلَاةُ الضُّحَى وَأَقَلُّهَا رَكْعَتَان وَأَقَلُّهَا رَكْعَتَان وَأَكْثَرُهَا ثَمَان وَوَقْتُهَا مِنْ خُرُوجِ وَقْتِ النَّهِي the translation thereof of these two paragraphs is uh, the prayer of the night is better than the prayer of the day the best time is during the third of the night after midnight the prayer of both the night and the day is to be offered in units of two there's no harm if one offers the supererogatory prayer during the day in a unit of four like the Zuhr prayer the reward for the one praying sitting down is half that of the one praying standing. The duha prayer is a sunnah. It is a minimum of two units and a maximum of eight. Its time is from the end of the prohibited time until just before the moment of zawal. So that, everybody, is our text, our humbly fiqh text that we are covering today. All right? The, uh, the commentary of Sheikh Uthameen and Sheikh Al-Mumtiq, we are on page 79. So let's start from the top. So we've already covered, obviously, night prayer. We're already comfortable with the idea that that's a two-unit prayers. However many you pray, the issue is flexible. Sunnah, the Prophet wants to pray eight, straightforward. The big, big question is, does that apply to the day as well? And it seems that the hadith is authentic, and therefore, in principle, the day prayers, whenever you pray Sunnah, Nafal prayers, Super rogatory. Remember this phrase, if you've never heard this phrase before, it's the actual, 
exact translation for an act that you do, non-compulsory, but if you do it, you get rewarded for it. The reason why we don't say voluntary, so obligatory and voluntary, is because voluntary doesn't actually mean something that's rewarded. Actually, the definition of voluntary is that you withdraw the reward, but you're not forced to do it. That's what voluntary is. Supererogatory is that you are not forced to do it, but if you do it, you get the reward. That's what the actual word in English. When you offer these kind of units during the daytime, then uh, because the hadith mentions that the prayer of the night in most narrations, but then there's another narration that says that the prayer of the night and the day is in units of two, then the basic principle is that we should split it into two. Today, we're covering specifically a very interesting issue, which is that of the uh, four raka'ah concept. Now, this is not very common in the other three schools of thought. It's very common, of course, in the Pakistani Asian culture and uh, in the Hanafi school. Let's have a roll call here because we've got quite a few different nationalities in your country. Ever prayed a four raka'ah unit of sunnah prayer? Never. Neither with a single taslim, neither with, two, with one tashahud, like dhuhr prayer? Never. Always units of two. Pakistan, all the time. Remind me which country? Oh, we are Eritrea. Yep, same. Forakat Pakistani. So Nigeria. So have you ever prayed in Nigeria or seen anybody pray four units in in a in a in a way that looks like dhuhr prayer? No, at all. Always in units of two. Always giving salam after two. Never seen anything other than that. Pakistan, Pakistan. Bangladesh of standard, Somali. You've been advised uh, according to a Shafi'i authority that's telling, taking you back to kind of Somali culture. So you was advised to pray from a cultural background like dhuhr with one tashahud, which is exactly like tashahud, which is exactly like dhuhr. Yes? Okay. Same, same. Huh? Yeah, so same. That's how you've understood and seen, right? Always as a four unit, same, 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 and same. So, so this, as, I, as, 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 um, as you've seen, most of the Asians are very comfortable with that. You've got uh, Yemeni, for example, seen some people doing it, right? Not a common practice. But what I'm now indicating to you, you've got a couple of Arabs here that are saying never, 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 right? Zara from Nigeria saying never, just like what Fumi said, always in twos. What's I think the interesting part here is that it's actually more widespread than you think, from my point of view. That's the interesting thing for me. The interesting thing for the PACs is that I can't believe that nobody else knows about it. They got the opposite thing because you've only ever known that reality. You've grown up with the four concept. Now, when you study this issue, it's very clear from the Sunnah authentically that a four-unit prayer is not a norm at all, right? And the hadith and so on for it is not the strength that you would expect or you'd be you'd be or you'd want for the level of spread of the practice. So I think there's a lot to learn actually on both sides, and I think that the way that the Hanabila that's really interesting with that. Jazairiya, is that a Malikiya thing? 
Do you think yani, the rest of the anyone seen the, the, the Maghariba or the Moroccans doing that? Because that's interesting. Oh, Canada. So you're not yani, saying, oh, no, no, okay, yeah, okay, with that, it's talking about her cultural reality, right? Because she's Algerian herself, but she's growing up in a Canadian, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever, and uh, community where packs are normally dominant anyway, or Asian. And so you're kind of going to see that um, expressed. No one's really thinking about, you know, what's going on. مثنى مثنى فتسلمين يعني أيوة okay Iraq standard Arab practice as well with two and two so anyway um, I think that is now now is clear that that what the Asian practice is dominant by that and this is a base, basic standard position of the Hanafi school it is not a basic position of any of the other schools as a practice however you'll find a lot of leniency in the schools of fiqh towards the practice of four why is that why is that where does it come from let's break it down okay our text starts off with and if he does these four units uh okay he doesn't even our author Imam al-hajjawi who's hanbali he doesn't even restrict it actually to dhuhr he says if a person was to offer four units in the day, supererogatory, non-obligatory, like dhuhr, it's no biggie. Falabats, no harm, right? So it's not exactly an endorsement massive, but he's indicating that it's no major issue, which is always an indication. This is scholar speak for that there's difference of opinion. There's yani backs back and forth. There's hadith in the matter. There are fuqaha that are. So uh, what do we... What do we pick up from this? What's the basis for this? Uh, why he didn't restrict it just to dhuhr? Because as the packs will know, this is going to be practiced how many times in the day at least? Three times. Correct. Three times. One of them only in an emphasized manner, which is for dhuhr, right? Why did they emphasize that one? Because the Prophet <coughs> indicated in so many hadith that the Prophet prayed for raka'ah before dhuhr. So many ahadith. But it doesn't mention the how. So the four raka'ah of Dhuhr cannot be compared to the four raka'ah before Asr and the four raka'ah before Isha, which the Hanafi school knows very well. What we call as Pags, غير مؤكدة, yeah? The non-emphasized. And the reason it's non-emphasized is because the Hadith also don't show that emphasis. And you have Iraq four Yeah. And this is really a Hanafi. Hey, bad, bad. Hey. So. Uh, I want you to know that the other schools also don't consider the four raka'ah non-emphasized before Asr and Isha as something which is established. And in the Hanafi school themselves, they're making it very clear. But these would be the three, but they do believe that it's legislated. Meaning if you want to do it, it'd be great, but you don't really need to kind of stress yourself over it. Definitely not in the same category as the four before Dhuhr, which is very well established. So they've got these three times for four raka'ah. Now, how are you going to pray it? They are going to argue that you will pray this like Dhuhr. What's the basis for that? 
the Prophet وسلم, as narrated by Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu narrated that the Prophet وسلم, can you salli qabla dhuhr arba'an la yafsilu baynahunna bitaslim alright Abu Ayyub said that the Prophet وسلم, used to pray before dhuhr four units and he would not separate between them with a taslim that's the text he would not separate between them with a taslim this hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmed, volume 5, hadith uh, 416. Narrated by Imam Abu Dawood as well, in a chapter of prayer, hadith number 1270. Imam Abu Dawood considered this hadith to be weak. Himself, he considered this hadith to be weak. Imam Ibn Majah also narrated this hadith as well, hadith number 1157. Sheikh Uthameen, in his commentary, he says this hadith is weak. He considers this hadith to be weak as well. Um, Let's talk about yani, some, some, uh, 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 some points to understand. First of all, when you are faced with a hadith that kind of goes against what is, seems to be well established, there are different methodologies in how to react. The scholars, most of them, the first step is to authenticate the contradicting statement. That's got to be the first place to start because you could spend all this time trying to reconcile and all the rest of it and all you had to do was actually to look and see and you find that it wasn't actually a worthy evidence anyway so then it doesn't even come into the picture so if we know that there that the basic principle of the day is two and two and two and two and suddenly a hadith comes along that says the prophet ﷺ prayed for and he didn't do a taslim between them that's now contradicting the fact that it's two and two and two at first look at first glance so now you know, should we try to reconcile or look at the hadith? Well, the scholars will look at the hadith and a number of them will say this hadith is actually weak, so we don't even need to consider it and point it to the side. The problem is that the hadith actually isn't that weak. Yeah, it has some weakness. A number of scholars that consider it to be weak, but a number of scholars consider it to be okay, to be acceptable from the muhaddithin, from the fuqaha, later and earlier. So that's yani, the first thing. So we should, we should carry on the discussion and see if we can reconcile. The next stage of reconciliation that you'll find between the scholars is maybe taslim means something different here. So normally taslim is to say assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, right? That is how we know that you separate, you break something up or you finish something. When I say to you that I prayed for with a taslim, right? Or with two taslims, it, it, it's such a vague statement if I said that. I prayed for two taslims, but we give two taslims like that, right? Is the word taslim referring to the pair or is taslim referring to the individual one? Does that make sense? Yeah? So if I say, Salaam alaikum rahmatullah, Salaam alaikum rahmatullah, in English we say, He gave salams, right? He gave salams left and right. The, the phrase is actually taslim. But you will also find that sometimes scholars might say, a, a single taslim or two taslims and it's not clear they were referring to taslim as the set so if I say salam alaykum rahmatullah, salam alaykum rahmatullah, is this a taslim and they're referring to the whole thing or is this two taslims and therefore each one has been given an individual value and so if I said I prayed for with two taslims does that mean that I actually prayed for like duhar which only has two taslims or does it mean that I prayed for with two sets of taslims and therefore I did a break in the middle so when a hadith is narrated in a vague sense, you're always opening it up to some interpretation. And if there are different ways to interpret a hadith, 
in a valid way, someone not going crazy and saying it means X, Y, Z, but saying something which makes sense, then that is why you will get a scholar saying la bas, which is acceptable for someone to differ. I'll show you some other angles. Some scholars said that the taslim here is that it is to be prayed like Dhuhr. That he did not separate with a taslim is indicating that it is prayed like Dhuhr because taslim here doesn't mean Asalaamu Alaikum Warahmatullah, but it means Allahumma, uh, uh, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad. This is like the salam to the Prophet. Now that's a big shock because that's not normally how it's used. Right? When we see the word taslim, it's always referring to Asalaamu Alaikum Warahmatullah, not to salawat upon the Prophet so that becomes confusing. There's another opinion that the taslim here is referring to the tashahud at the beginning. Now that would be a, a, a whole left field opinion because that would basically mean that when you're saying Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh up to this part, this is the, the taslim that's been referred to. So now the four raka'ah is referring to you just doing one, two, three, four without a tashahud. So these are all interpretations that were put forward by senior scholars to try to hold on to the fact that, yeah, we do believe that four raka'ah is a valid uh, expression as opposed to just always having to pray two and two. Here's what Sheikh Uthameen puts forward. He said, this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray four raka'ah before dhuhr without separating between them with a taslim. Sheikh says, this hadith does not indicate that this had to tashahuds. It says he didn't separate between taslim, but it doesn't say it had two tashahuds. Right? So he makes a big statement. He goes, therefore, as far as I'm concerned, when I read this hadith, if a person was to do four raka'a sunnah with two tashahuds, which basically means like praying like dhuhr, so after two, tahiyyat, Abduhu Rasulu, stand up. And then you do it again. Just like the Fard Dhuhr prayer. For me, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, this is closer to being a disliked action. It's closer to being a disliked action. The evidence for that, he goes, is the statement of the Prophet Wasallam. This hadith actually is a combination of different uh, narrations, okay? This hadith is a controversial hadith. The Prophet Sallallahu the reference to this, by the way, let me read out the reference. At the bottom of the page, Sheikh says that this is uh, uh, on page 16. And the reference to this hadith uh, is the hadith of Ubay bin Ka'ab that's narrated by Imam Abu Dawood, hadith number 1423. And also narrated by Imam Nasa'i, also narrated by Ibn Majah as well, and narrated by Imam At-Tirmidhi. And he considered this hadith to be, uh, and sorry, and Imam Hakim, and Imam Hakim considered this hadith to be authentic. What's this hadith to be translated as? The Prophet ﷺ said, do not pray your witr as three, do not make it like the Maghrib. Do not pray your witr as three, do not make it like the Maghrib. You've seen a few scholars and few references I just mentioned. A number of scholars con consider this hadith to be authentic. This is the basis of the three schools of thought only ever praying Salatul Witr in the two ways that you are familiar with. As 
by doing two raka'ah and one, or doing three raka'ah without sitting down. One, two, and three. Whereas the Hanafi school, what do they do? They pray the Maghrib, they pray the Witr like a Maghrib. So they will do two raka'ah, sit the shahud, and then stand up and pray through and do the third one. Just like Maghrib, basically. Now, here's the interesting thing. First, I'll come to this hadith and whether it's authentic or not and what it means in a second. What is Sheikh Uthameen trying to say? Sheikh Uthameen is trying to say that this hadith, which he obviously sees as authentic, it says, don't make your witr prayer like your maghrib prayer. That's what he's basically saying. Witr is obligatory or not? No. Maghrib is obligatory? Yes. He's now taking a principle from this second hadith that you shouldn't be making your non-obligatory prayers like your obligatory prayers. If you agree with that principle, then you shouldn't make your non-obligatory sunnah of dhuhr prayer look like your obligatory of your dhuhr prayer. He's doing an analogy. He's saying that if we accept the principle for Maghrib, then we should apply it now for uh, dhuhr as well. Therefore, if this hadith comes and says that the Prophet ﷺ prayed for raka'ah before dhuhr, then you know what? We'll take every interpretation possible, but we will not allow it to look like the dhuhr prayer with two tashahuds. That's Sheikh Uthameen's thinking. That's where he's going. That's why he doesn't want the four raka'ah prayer to be prayed with two tashahuds. It's like he's almost saying, look, you know his position. His position is that every prayer of the day should be two units. But he's like, if you're going to put four on it and you're going to justify it, I'll take it with one taslim. But I'm not having two tashahuds. So it's like he's gone for that left field opinion, that third kind of approach. All right? Let's just carry on and finish what he says. Sheikh says, this hadith about Maghrib, it is sahih, the principle is sahih, and that it indicates that the lawmaker, the legislator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is wants, doesn't want the obligatory to be connected to the non-obligatory, to be associated with, to be connected with. He doesn't want them to be the same. And Sheikh says, that if a, if a person wants to go and pray for raka'ah and he made it look like the dhuhr, then that's exactly what he's done. He's actually connected the nafal with the fard, like as if it's connected. Now, Sheikh, he, he, he stops there. Arif says, isn't this hadith very specific to Witzer Maghrib? Before we even get to what Arif says, right? There's so many problems with this way of thinking. So many problems. Let's just start with the hadith first of all. This hadith, is not as weak as people making it out to be. This hadith has been narrated yani marfu'an and mawqufan, meaning from the companions themselves, which would indicate some weakness, but also raised to the level of the Prophet ﷺ as well. That's just from a standard point of view. And I want you to know that when you come across a hadith which is not in Bukhari or in Muslim, you're always going to have then a debate about it. And if you're going to have a debate about it, and you can put forward opinions upon some of the narrators and so on and so forth, then we will see that you can't be very, you know, absolutely no way that yours can stand because ultimately how do we make a decision on whether hadith is authentic or not our judgment call on whether a person is trustworthy or not that's always a judgment call always a judgment call unless you've got a consensus of all the hadith scholars that that guy is a liar he used to fabricate hadith he is rejected and you will find narrators like that this is not one of those hadith it doesn't have one of those narrators that completely disables the hadith so that's the first thing I'll say. There's a debate over, over authenticity. Second thing I'll say, and these are the, this is the order of how you go around these things. This is the order. 
when you want to make an argument. You don't start with what I'm about to say now. From a meaning point of view, we've got a problem here, right? If we were to accept this hadith as super authentic, literally, then what should, what, what should we not be doing then? No, no, this, 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 uh, this is a Maghrib hadith. No, no, if we took this hadith literally, what would it mean? You can't do? Witter as? As a three. And what do we do? We do witter as a three. So it's clear that the hadith has some deeper meaning, right? Or maybe it's not authentic at all. The hadith says, do not do witter as three and do not make your witter like Maghrib. Now, they will respond and say, actually, there's no and. It means don't do when you pray your uh, uh, They'll say, actually, what this hadith means is don't pray your witter like three and make it like Maghrib. That will be their response. But there are a number of narrations from this hadith that don't suggest it like that. It suggests don't make your witter three. Because there are other versions of this that say, don't make your witter three, but make it five, make it seven, make it nine, make it 11. So therefore, those hadith that say don't make it three, but make it this, this, and this, would therefore indicate that it's trying to exclude three, right? And we know by consensus of the scholars, in fact, even the people who are making this argument using the hadith, pray witter as a three. Very well established. So what I'm trying to say is, and they won't deny that. The scholars who are using this hadith, they will not deny it. But they will, as I said, they will say that, no, what this hadith means is that you're allowed to pray three, but you're not meant to make the three like maghrib, which is a fair point, but you are having to play around with the wording a bit. So could it be that they're saying, um, don't pray it like three because you include qunut in it as well. So it's kind of, Differentiating from anyway. So that's another argument. They were saying that, well, actually, if we are, so some Hanafis were like, you know, straight onto the attack. If, because the Hanafis are not going to lie down and say, all right, you're making our key hadith weak. So they'll go straight on the attack and actually prove its authenticity. And maybe even go further and try to weaken the other hadith as well. In this case, they can't weaken the other hadith. It is very well established highly authentically that the Prophet ﷺ prayed three raka'a witr as a two and a one and as a three without any tashahud. So they know that they have to accept that. So now it's back to defense. We're going to defend our hadith. We have to defend our hadith. And you'll find the muhaddithin focusing on that. Now, regardless of whether you take that approach or you take the more classic Hanafi approach, which is to fiqh explain it out. So they'll say, no, no, we'll take the hadith as authentic, no problem. We've got no issue with that. We'll, we'll take the hadith as authentic. What the hadith means is that don't make it like Maghrib without a qunut. You need to put a qunut in yours. And therefore you differentiate between the, 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 the two. So Maghrib is a straightforward prayer. There's no recitation, for example, in the third raka'ah of Maghrib. But in the witr, you definitely recite something. There is no qunut yani, in the Maghrib you should do a qunut in the witr. But even that is a problem because it is allowed to recite in the third raka'ah of Maghrib. It's allowed to recite in any raka'ah of a prayer. You guys have been listening to Sheikh Hudayfi recently, right? You're, you know that you hear him after when he says, I mean, first of all, he takes half an hour, yeah? But Zindabad, Allah yahfadu, because we're not, yani we know that at Dhuhr time, we're not going to be third raka'ah garis, yeah? Yeah, we know that we're going to get there for the first. We know when we're late, 
Sheikh Hudayfi is on Yani, we know we're going to make the whole prayer. But you know, because obviously, Yani, subhanAllah, legend that he is, he does the sunnah. This is a sunnah, by the way. This is a sunnah to. This is a sunnah to hear little snippets of where he's at. And you know that my man is saying, Ameen, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. And then I don't know, he reads the surah in like three seconds. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, by the way. If you're looking at me for the answers, guys, I know that online you're thinking what's happening. Uh, Sheikh Hudayfi is currently leading Sheikh Ali Hudayfi, the legend, the Imam of Medina for the last 50 years, or I don't know how long. Um, you know, by the way, his son's an Imam. Yeah, his son's, his son, his son his Ahmed, I think Ahmed uh, Ibn uh, Ali Al Hudayfi, I think his name is. I, I haven't heard his recitation. Anyway, he's currently leading Salat al Isha, and uh, uh, you know, he's getting old, it's difficult to maintain the breath and so on. But he's leading Salat al Dhuhr, and he has a reputation for being relaxed and easy and long, right? So it's great, you know, we're all loving that. But at the moment, at the moment, what's happening is that we can hear very well his silent prayer. Silent prayer for us, by the way, I just got to tell you that Danish today, earlier on, he goes, I want to request. <laughs> we walked in for Salat al Dhuhr. I told Danish yesterday that, listen, we need to recite, we need to record Sheikh uh, Ali, uh, Sheikh uh, Fatiha. Because it's a legendary Fatiha, it's a very, you know, famous one. So we've walked into Dohar prayer and he's getting out the recording machine. I go, what are you doing, bro? He goes, yeah, I'm going to record Ali, Sheikh Hudayfi's Fatiha in Dohar prayer. I said, oh, really? Yeah? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's carrying on. I go, right, how, where are you going to set that up then? He goes, what do you mean? We're going to record this Fatiha. Anyway, never mind. Anyway, never mind, Lala. Guy's been having no sleep skin. He's been editing all day and night. Like legit. Legit. He needs to get some R's and some pats on the back. Um, I'm going to be honest. First of all, I just told you what I said to you, right? It is actually a forgotten sunnah to revive the fact that you are allowed to recite. It's not the norm. should never be the norm. But you are allowed to recite in the third and the fourth empty units. Okay, we are brought up like that. It's correct to be brought up like that. We covered it, I think, a couple of years ago. Yeah, in uh, LP, I, I think maybe if uh, someone can find it. Um, so, uh, 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 there is recitation allowed, but it wasn't the established sunnah of the Prophet It wasn't the established sunnah. Sheikh Hudayfi is definitely doing something. It doesn't make any sense unless he's doing a very quick ikhlas. Now we know, we know that it is one of the established acts that the Prophet ﷺ approved to recite Surah Ikhlas after every surah. So I mean in a normal prayer, you read Fatiha, you read a surah, and then you add Ikhlas on top anyway. All right? Not something you do all the time, but one of the companions did it and the Prophet ﷺ was very happy with that person and he praised him for it. So we know that it's a thing which is done. That's a little bit different than saying you recite ikhlas in every raka'ah, which we don't have specific hadith for, but we do know that he sometimes would recite. Um, another point which is to be made. Um, we know from the hadith in the Muatta of Man Malik that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an, he used to recite chosen verses in the third raka'ah of Salatul Maghrib. We have that narration in which one of the tabi'een said that I came, I wanted, I wanted so much to pray behind Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. I came as close as I possibly could. Uh, you know, I was so close to him in the front line that I was almost touching him. 
And when I got, when I, when I was listening in the third rak'ah, I heard Amin, very similar to what we're talking about. And then instead of saying Allahu Akbar, he said, Rabbana la qulubana ba'd id hadaytina. So reciting from Surah Ali Imran in the third rak'ah of Salatul Maghrib. So this is an accepted practice. It's just not meant to be a regular common one. Sheikh Hudayfi, you hear him say Amin. You hear him say Bismillah Rahman Rahim. I'm going crazy. Yes. Yeah, he is, right? So that must mean he's starting something. But then he goes Allahu Akbar like three seconds later. Not two seconds, but it's like three or four seconds. Now he recites slow. So I was thinking maybe he is reciting ikhlas, but if he is, he's doing it. That's the only speed he can be. Ah, listen, if anyone online knows this, Yani, then you guys got to tell me what's going on because... No, about him. Yani, I don't know, but it's got me bamboozled every day that he's been leading. Well, like, that's my that's my thought. What Juwairiya said is that because you know he's in the zone, he's Ahlul Quran, he's from the, the Mashaykh of Quran, he's teaching Quran, his whole life is Quran. He's just like on the flow, reciting, reciting, reciting. I would. That's what I've been thinking. The problem is, is that he's the consummate professional. You know what I'm trying to say? He's the Imam of the Imams. He knows the game. It's very, very. Uh, and you know, I had waswas. I, I said to myself, maybe he. Has, he loses himself that, you know, he's going into the surah, then he goes, oh. I, 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 all the time though? But all the time though? Yeah. He, you know, you know what I'm saying? He's very lucid, he's very clear. He's old, but he's not like, you know, you know. And he, I, I, I'd have said that maybe he's reciting an ayah from Ali Imran, just like Abu Bakr did. And I've got to say, maybe that's an example, a small one that he, you know, feels or, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway. Huh? Alif Lameen, maybe, yeah, Alif Lameen. Surah Al Anfal. Yeah, the Imam is the same for Surah Al Anfal, for, for uh, Fajr at the moment, for this week. And yes, he is continuing in, in, uh, in Surah Al Anfal, but not for any specific reason. Each of them, by the way, have quite a lot of freedom in what the verses that they choose. And sometimes they have a pattern. Sometimes, you know, they make decisions to... There's politics involved, yes. But there's also health. There's also, you know, other things. Uh, uh, but anyway, I don't want to get open up that, that chapter because that can get quite controversial. But yeah. Um, so what was, the, what was the point we were making about this? Why do we mention that? No, but why did we... Maghrib. Oh yeah, reciting, yeah. Reciting in the third rak'ah. So, so I'm just saying that it's also to, to, to make that argument that the Hanafis will make that actually, you know, make it different is, is allowed. Both arguments can be made. So I hope that you understand that, that you can defend the idea that I am not making my Maghrib like my Witter. The Hanafis can defend it. That's my point. They can make the Hadith weak as well. That's my point. The Hadith is probably authentic. That's the point for the other side. And so therefore, I don't think that we can win this issue on the issue of the Maghrib. And as for the Qiyas, now let's go from a third point of view, what actually Sheikh Uthameen is saying. He's saying that this Maghrib hadith is, 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 is authentic. And if it's authentic, then the basic principle for the Dhuhr about not comparing Sunnah to uh, 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 Fard is a, you know, is, a, is a problem. Well, let's pause there. Is that true? In Islam, shouldn't we come, have versions of obligatory, obligatory acts in the Sunnah acts? 
like uh, I think it was uh, Ariel mentioned that uh, the Sunnah of Fajr is exactly the same as Sunnah or, uh, as the Fard of Fajr. Someone will say, well, no, that's because it's two. That's the problem. If you keep changing the goalposts, then we're never going to get anywhere. We have the, uh, 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 voluntary fasting and we have obligatory fasting, exactly the same. Just Nia is different. We have the, um, what else do we have? What else do we have that is Sunnah and obligatory? That's exactly the same, except for Nia. Who can think of some examples? Sadaqa, zakat. Yeah, I guess if it's an amount. Yeah, if it's a set amount, then you know your zakat is this amount and you're giving sadaqa of the amount. The only difference is your intention. Huh? Hajj, 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 hajj. The problem with hajj is that because that, that gets complicated because if you are, no, I don't think, I don't think hajj can come under that. No, not hajj. Hajj is a, doesn't have a sunnah equivalent. Umrah, are there times of umrah? That's also maybe the tawaf of uh, normal tawaf, of sunnah tawaf. But then umrah is more than that, maybe. So, fasting, I think. Huh? What about sacrifice? Sacrifice? Sunnah sacrifice and those that... No, no, we can't talk about ishtihad. Meaning those who agree on a obligatory and a, a non-obligatory one. That's, what, that's, that's what's got to be uh, compared. Anyway... I just see fihi nazar. I don't want to say. I want to say. I don't think that we should take the the, the position in its uh, entirety. Anyway, Sheikh Uthameen says, "Wahad al hadith, this hadith of the four rakaa of dhuhr." Let me remind you again that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray dhuhr before dhuhr four units and did not and did not um, separate between them with a taslim. Sheikh Uthameen ends this section by saying, "As for this hadith, if it's actually authentic." If it's actually authentic that he did this, then listen, it's well known that we will, uh, it is obligatory to accept it if it's authentic. And then it would be an exception. We'd have to reconcile. The norm is two, and then we'll basically say, okay, yours is authentic as well. But because the norm is two, yours is an exception to the rule, and it can be prayed on an exceptional basis but the norm should be too. And frankly, that's a safe point to make. That's a safe point to make, and it's effectively what the Hanabila uh, uh, is, are, 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 are saying. Does that make sense? So the Hanbali position is actually a very pragmatic, balanced one. The principle is two, but because there seem to be quite a body of evidence to allow it to be four without a taslim, it could be argued well, then we'll say, okay, we'll let it flow, we'll let it go, there's enough evidence for you. I'm still not convinced, but it may, maybe it's an exception. And I want to say, I, that's Sheikh Uthameen's position. Class position for me, I'm happy to stick to that because it just doesn't cause any grief. Four units is valid. I would say from my point of view, four units is valid just because the fact is a Hanafi opinion. It's enough for a Muslim to follow a mujtahid opinion. And it's more than that. There are more than the Hanafis who consider that the four rak'ah can be uh, prayed. Yeah. So are they saying it's, it's authentic but it's shaf? Yeah, it's from the true... The, the hadith you mean? Yeah. No, I don't think that... You, this, is, this is one of the scenarios in which they're not able to just restrict the issue to the hadith. Just only to the hadith. They're going to have to make an argument with all of the components. So they're going to have to say, well, the hadith... It's, it, the reason it can't be shaf is because there are other narrations and other versions of the hadith. Now, um, so Mace is making a point, and this is what Sheikh Uthameen would say. 
Mason making a point, and she, this is what Sheikh Adimun say. He goes that actually Sunnah acts are not the same as the obligatory acts, only differentiated by the intention. You would always find some kind of difference, right? So in the Zakat one that we gave, she made the fair point saying that, yeah, you're right, Sadaqah and Zakat at the same amount is looking the same, differing only intention, if you look from that angle. But from recipients, very, very different. You can, Sadaqah can go to everyone, the Zakat can't. It's an excellent point. So you'll find if you go dig, 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 you know, really deep, then you'll find a difference. Uh, Adil mentioned the two sunnah of two fajr. That's the problem when you get into this debate. Of course, there are differences. You don't need to recite, you know, one's recited out loud, one's not recited out loud, one is recited quickly, the sunnah of fajr is to make it long as possible, etc., etc., etc. So you can argue that, and then you realize you're going back and forth and it's too much. All right, now, let's move on to the next part. The sheikh says that, as for the prayer of the one sitting down, it is half the prayer of the one who is standing. So what do we learn from this? That it's valid for a person to pray sitting down. All right. Of course, this is referring to voluntary, to, to supererogatory prayers, not obligatory prayers. Okay. Sheikh says that is the intention here. And that's why he put it in the chapter of supererogatory prayers. He hasn't mentioned that in the sentence, but this is the chapter that we were talking about. Sheikh says, what about obligatory prayer? Is it allowed to pray the obligatory prayer sitting down? The one who prays sitting down, obligatory prayer, and who was able to pray standing, Al-Qadir Al-Qiyam, then they don't get any reward for that prayer or half the reward for the prayer or any reward for the prayer because the prayer is invalidated. So it's not even a question of, it's not a question of you, do you get reward or not a reward. If you are able to pray a fard prayer standing and you pray sitting down, the action is invalidated from the beginning because you have put forward an action that is not from the way that the Sunnah establishes it. <coughs> this is the one who is able to stand. Okay, because it's a rukun of the prayer to stand. As for a person, uh, uh, this is of course referring to a person who doesn't have an excuse. If a person is sitting with an excuse, it's a whole different ballgame. If you are sitting with an excuse, an udhar, a shari excuse, then it's something different. So now let's apply it. It's different in a couple of ways. First of all, let's focus back on the obligatory prayer. If you have knee problem, <coughs> if you have surgery, if you have the fact that you can't, um, uh, whatever it is, but you can't stand, okay? You need to stand for as much of it as you can, and then you sit for that which you can't. Or if you realize that standing will, be, will cause a problem that, that can't be adjusted during the prayer, you've got to start off from the beginning sitting down because of your condition or whatever, right? So for example, maybe neurological symptoms where you might be feeling fine at the beginning, but you find that maybe a, a minute or two in, you start to lose balance. And then to try to go for a chair at that time would be dangerous and a lot of movement. So this is a legal excuse for sitting down from the beginning, obligatory. However, if you had like just a, a knee problem that, that it just manifests as pain, then you'd stand praying, and then when you become tired or hurt, then you'd sit down. The two are very different. I'm always at a question because I've seen more and more chairs of time. I feel like it's, sub so is there a clear, could it be subjective? It is subjective. There are no parameters that scholars can use and neither want to use because the scholars are not meant to police the people. On the other, on the other hand, on the other hand, 
you become too lackadaisical, then the people just, you know, take liberties. So there's a balance. You've got to try to educate the people, empower them, but try to give them a warning, like I've just given a warning and say, listen, if you don't have an excuse, then, and then they start becoming paranoid. Do I have an excuse or not? Do I have an excuse or not? And then you've got the masses, which would always then go and err on the side of caution because it's the prayer. That's the cultural approach to it. So we do have a problem here. If you look at the masses, masses don't want responsibility. They don't want to be thinking about these things, right? That's why the madhabs exist. That's why culture is so strong. They just want the imams to say to them that if you've got a headache, you can't. If you've had surgery, you can. That's what they want. They just want the scholars to go bam, 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 bam. Am I a traveler? Don't tell me that. Well, do you feel like a traveler or not? Or do you know, which is the closer to the sunnah. Just tell me miles. Just give me miles to say 50 miles. Muslims want to be treated like that. And you know what it is? There's no, not too much wrong with that. Although there is, of course, something wrong with that. It's not exactly uh, accurate, but I just think there needs to be a balance, which is just very difficult to achieve. It's just very difficult to achieve. Is it fair to say, though, if you yourself, as between you and God, know that you can push it, but you didn't push it to the limit, Allah knows best that your prayer may not be counted. But you can't tell them that as a scholar, only they know their limit, right? So can you tell somebody that, that you know that there's a chance your prayer may not be counted? So look, I mean, obviously how you explain something to someone, right? At some point, everybody's got to learn in their life that, that standing in a prayer is the fundamental aspect of the prayer. It's fundamental, meaning it's a pillar. Anybody who is able to do a pillar and doesn't do it out of laziness or out of uh, disobedience, then not only are they in sin, not only is the prayer invalidated, it could even go further than that. If you were like saying, I'm not going to pray, that would be kufr. That's a whole different level. As for a person who knows, but says, ah, oh, you know what, I can't be bothered. Really right? Yeah, I mean, whatever. So that's like, that's moving in away from kufr, that's moving into the haram part and invalidation part. Then you've got a person who genuinely has a problem, but he or she can't assess the level of that problem accurately. Can't assess it. Or doesn't have the guts to try to assess it or had a little accident with it or not. That, I don't think will ever get into the issue of them being at risk of invalidating the prayer. Especially when the Muslims, by their nature, when it comes to the prayer, are very, very careful. They are generally. If you think about your parents, right? Now, I'm not gonna lie, our generation has moved well away from that. Concessions on offer, we're taking it. But if you look at your parents in general, they're a pain, aren't they? We're fasting, don't tell us. We're praying, we've had surgery, don't, you know, what? You know things like that. I've just gone through that scenario with my own parents. My mum, nightmare. My dad used to be a nightmare, I found recently, very pliable to the whole idea. Both of them had conditions, one had COVID, we had fatigue. I was praying next to him, I was leading him, I see him go like that. I said, goodness gracious. So then I, I, I you know, I, I kind of like, kind of almost linked my arm. So he's praying like this and I'm praying like this. But I put my elbow in without him realizing what I'm doing. He just thinks I'm just doing normal movement, like swaying. But I kind of linked, finished the prayer, and I said, listen, from now on you're praying. He'd be killing me for that, right? If I did that even one year ago. Now, he really feels his own weakness. He accepted and prayed sitting down, uh, sitting down, obligatory prayer, because he's all over, he's all over. My mom, proper, you know, had surgery, all that whole stroke behavior, blah, 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 aneurysm. She's all over the show. She's refusing. 
Khalis. Like as if it's the most important thing in the world. So you, what do you do with people like that? You know what I'm trying to say? They have that belief that that's the fundamental identifying factor of the Muslims that are going to pray standing up. You know? And there's culture that plays a part in that. Right? There's maybe some ethnic issues going as well. There's madhab issues there as well. I'll give you an example. An Arab community will not have the same reticence to this like the Pak community. So for example, if you were to go to a Taraweeh normal gathering, you will not see classic Paks, classic Hanafis ever do the whole, uh, you know, uh, uh, Fatiha, praying Fatiha, uh, praying Taraweeh, and after the Fatiha finishes, they take a seat, yes? Which you see in Arab mosques, yes? Right? I don't want to bring up the Arab point, but this is a flexibility around the kind of nature of the prayer. And flexibility around movement in the prayer. And then when they hear the Imam come to the end of the surah and slowing down, they'll stand back up again and they go, Allahu Akbar. We've seen that, right? Now, think about all the times you've seen it in the mosque you've gone to. How many of the times out of 10 you've seen a pack do that? Or a Hanafi do that? Very rare, right? Very rare. Whereas it seems to be the other kind of madahib or other ethnicities that do it. Uh, so I want you to say that when it comes to the whole standing and insisting on standing, there is more than just culture. There's more than just age. There's a little bit of uh, uh, madhab. You know, the Hanafi school has very little movement in the salah and they build it in. Whereas the other madhahib have very relaxed yani, approach to movement. Uh, not very relaxed, but more relaxed. So you're not surprised when they move around a bit. So these are, these are I think, you know, to be taken into account. Just a more practical thing, you know, um, because you're emphasizing that you must try your best to stand and do those acts. So sometimes it is due to convenience as well, and that's where the gray area is. You're in an aeroplane where you can, at least I can stand, I'm sure you would probably struggle, uh, but I can stand. Uh, but there is a concession there, and that brings into that gray area. Yeah, I mean... And what Arshad is saying is about, you know, there's a convenience issue as well. Um, it's not even about excuse of, of pain or whatever. What about other excuses now? I don't know what... No, I should actually. I should uh, do it now. Um, the, w w uh, so, the issue of the airplane, about standing and sitting. Those who have studied Fiqh Salah with me, the full class, like with, with Al-Maghrib, obviously you kind of comp uh, compress everything into the two weekends. You'll remember that when we spoke about this issue of sitting down in a prayer, sitting down to pray, that the scholars that give this fatwa always give it reluctantly. And the reason is, is because they all know, like we all know, that if you want to, you can, one way or the other, pray standing on a plane. That's just facts, right? Whether you are on a Saudiya flight that has an actual area for praying, which is unlikely for the vast majority of the time, or whether you politely ask and say that, can I pray in a gallery or X or Y or Z, which on one hand is possible if they're not serving food. On the other hand, this is dangerous if you're blocking the emergency exit. It's in praying in the, in the pathways, which shouldn't be done, inconveniencing, or shouldn't be done in the gallery because they're not going to move around you preparing food and all the rest of it, and someone's ordered an X, Y, Z drink, whatever. And then, like, you know, does your prayer overcome, uh, uh, you know, override a paying customer's food request? So this is, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, um, safety issue. Should you be walking around or not? 
that's very uh, weak because you are actually, they encourage you to go up and down to make sure that, you know, that blood clots are not forming. So that wouldn't come into it. Um, okay, praying where you are. So you might say, all right, then I'm not going to pray in a, in a disliked manner. I'm not going to pray in a pathway. I'm not going to pray in an emergency exit. So I'm going to pray where I am, I'm standing. Well, a lot of the time, you've got the issue of the fact that the cabin, the, whatever it's called, what's it called, man? Overhead, hang up, what? Locker, locker, whatever it is. That, that is too low. And so you end up doing this behavior or like that. So then we enter into another area of fiqh. Do you bring an action as much as you can? Or if the action that you're doing doesn't represent the required one, then you don't do it. What do I mean? If you pray like this, I'm doing this for the camera, but for you guys, yeah? If I'm like this, am I standing here or am I closer to leaning? It's a valid question. Some will say, that's good enough for a standing. You did the best that you can. Others will say, that the reason that the Prophet Sallallahu uh, didn't like uh, the, uh, I forgot the name of the Sahabiya, she was praying with a stick, okay, leaning, is because you're not meant to lean in the prayer. Sit down. If you're leaning on a stick, then there's some issue. And that is the reason why a person's allowed to sit down. So that indicates to us that if you are unable to fully do something then you move to the next stage so what are you doing here then if you're standing like that okay it means you can't stand no no i think we're back guys Uh, just confirm, guys, that you're, that the, the, the thing is back. Yep, Zubair says we're back. All right. Sorry, guys, about that. Someone called. That's the problem because we're doing it off a phone line and not a Wi-Fi. Because I'm doing it off the mobile data, the, uh, when a phone call comes in, it cuts off the internet because it's not on Wi-Fi. All right. But anyway, we've reached an hour anyway. We didn't do anything, by the way. You didn't miss anything. We just basically, what did we do? Just panicked, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We didn't do anything. So you don't miss any uh, content. So, um, what we're saying? Yeah, so the, the, the second approach is that, well, you know what? You don't actually have a disability. So you, you shouldn't really move to sitting. You are kind of standing. And the hadith of, the, of you know, walking sticks and don't lean and whatever, those were in scenarios where they couldn't stand. Your couldn't stand is purely because you are being prevented from a physical kind of thing. Not because you're tired or because you're ill or whatever. So this is actually a difficult issue to work out what's the correct position. You can see arguments for both. So some will say, no, if you can stand even like this, then you should. And others will say that, no, you, you should sit down. That's where, the, that's where the, 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 the scholars allow the person to pray sitting down. Others put forward a, uh, an argument. And they said that it's allowed to pray sitting down if you are so anxious that you've almost mentally disabled yourself. Now, this is obviously tenuous. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Right? You are kind of stretching. But I'll give you the example um, that I give in Fiqh Salah that some of the Fuqaha used. They said if there was a person who's on the run 
and the, 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 the scenario that's being given is um, uh, on the run, he's a, he's a, he's a righteous person, he's, he's innocent, and there's an oppressive tyrant that's on his case, and you know, he's escaped, and we are now doing a search party for him, yeah? And they can't find him because he's in the wheat field, right? So he's crawling along and now it's Salah time. And in this scenario, he's fully fit. So he should stand. But if he stands, he could get caught. No, he's going to get caught. He could get caught. So what's going to happen when he stands? What is his, what is his prayer going to be mentally? It's all over the place, right? He might not be turning around, but his whole prayer is dominated by this fear that he could get caught. Now, that that so that's that's so they said that this person can pray sitting down because he's righteous and his zulam was happening to him and blah blah blah. All right, so that's in his right place. What would the application today be? I put the application forward that because I'm not a massive fan of the whole sitting down thing on in a plane, but I think it's acceptable. And to defend that position, I would say using that principle that the books of fiqh mention, today there are people who honestly they are terrified of praying standing up. They just don't have it in them. They just don't have it in them. And I said when I taught this class first time round, which is like maybe 10, 12 years ago, we were still kind of coming off the whole 9-11 you know air marshal shoot you in the head kind of thing you know what i mean that real fear we kind of seem to have moved away from that now but there is i mean in america i think every flight has an air marshal or not with a gun and you know you are hearing every other day someone doing some dua or reading something and they're kind of you know freaking out whatever so what i'm saying is I'm no way hating on a person who says, I can't pray standing up, I'm sorry. Whether they say, I don't want to take the risk of being shot in the head, or whether they're saying, I don't want to take the risk of being thrown out, or people misunderstanding. And I'm going to share this joke, obviously, which I share in the class and in the class coming up. I was once on a plane. And normally you basically put people at ease, right? I, I even, I went on the Saudia flight here, I even told the, uh, the, 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 what's his name? The Muslim staff, the Muslim guy who's going around giving salams to everyone. I even told him that I'm praying. Because, you know, they just, they get freaked out by the way you're standing in your seat. Right? Because it's not like necessarily natural or whatever. Anyway, I was on a plane. I think it was to, it might have been to Canada, you know. I've got something saying it was Canada. And Islam time came. So I did my thing. I was sitting next to an oldish kind of lady. I don't know, maybe 60, 70. So I said, uh, you know, we've been just chatting, you know, niceties. So I said, so hey, um, just wanted to let you know that uh, uh, I'm about to pray. I'm a Muslim. And, you know, I, there was all my hands will do this and that, whatever. I don't want to get freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like our prayer. We do it five times a day. You might have seen it. She goes, and she leans over. She goes, honey, everybody prays on a plane. <laughs> I said, you sick guy. You sick guy. So that was that legend she was. So anyway, so she goes, you go do what you want. So the point is, is that um, we do sometimes make a bigger thing out of it than it is. But I have no problem having a hybrid version. What is a hybrid version? 
If you're on a plane with Muslims, you're on a plane with the culture of the people is okay. You aren't able to pray without yani, doing something dangerous or makroh or putting other people at harm. Then I think that you should pray standing and as much as you can. Like on the way here, I prayed standing for the Qiyam, for Ruqua, I sat down because it's not even a, you know, there's no way. I then stood back up, and then I sat down and did the sujood, which is lesser than the amount that I was bowing when I was standing, when I was sitting in the seat, and I completed my prayer like that. To shahud, obviously, I sat down. This is an approach in that environment. If I'm on a non-Muslim plane, very laws on non-Muslims, and for some reason I'm feeling a bit soft that day, right? then I might pray the whole prayer sitting down. Or the plane might be going through turbulence. I've done that once as well. Serious turbulence, seatbelts have to go on. The whole thing's been prayed sitting down. Hybrid, whatever. But back to the point at hand, which is, can a person who has, the, can a person pray the obligatory prayer sitting down? The answer is yes, if they are disabled, or a problem, or pain, or medical condition, and we can even extend it to some psychological kind of medical condition, quote unquote, that is extreme anxiety, or fear right and that person is allowed to pray sitting down and just to complete this point so we can close on this if this person prays sitting down then it's also like the prayer this section by the way is about supererogatory prayers right this section is not about fard prayers this section is saying what if a person prays their sunnah or nafal prayer sitting down they get half the reward who is this referring to the one who is able to stand. If a person is unable to stand, then they get full reward while sitting down. And the evidence for that is a statement of the Prophet Translation of the Prophet said, if the, if the servant servant of Allah, the Muslim, becomes sick or travels, it will be written for him what he used to do when he was resident and in good health. Meaning that if you, because you're ill, now you're praying, sitting down, lying down, and it's from your normal habit to smash it out proper all the time, lots, units, standing up, whatever, then you'll get the reward during your sickness like you're praying all day, all the time. If you are on travel and you're praying half-half as a traveler, because you're always regularly praying your prayer properly in normal times full, you get the reward because of your normal habit. Likewise, if a person, so therefore from that point of view, a person who is uh, 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 ill, right, and he prays sitting down, that's not, uh, he gets full reward. Our chapter, our sentence is about a person who is able to stand the nafal prayer has flexibility. It is not an obligation to pray standing. That's why he gets half the reward. Obligatory, it doesn't apply. That's the summary of the section. Questions, guys? Any questions now on this as we close? Let's take some um, online. Marina's giving us some personal example. Although I'm not going to lie, out of all people, or out of all people that I can imagine getting escorted off a flight, Marina, who's online, that is definitely one of them. Marina's hardcore. MashaAllah, I can imagine her completely not yani, being stepping down in an argument. I can see that. I've met Marina, by the way. Just in case you guys are thinking, how is that possible? 
right. Um, Umrakai is saying, can we use that point to actually sit and pray on the road during extreme cold weather? I made my husband and myself pray in extreme cold on our road trip, and he kept saying, I got it wrong, and we should sit and pray in the car. Um, so the sitting in the car is a lot, is, is much more difficult than just being unable to stand. But yes, if there is danger, then one should go in. The problem is, is that that's not what people normally talk about. People normally talk about this in, in, the, in the context of extreme traffic or raining. So we've got to ask ourselves, what is justifying you praying in, in your car? I have, I, I have to say, I find it difficult to say, yeah, it's okay in rain weather, right? But then there's rain and then there's rain, right? And if you're a car, you've always got an ability to pull over under a bridge or to pull into a service station or whatever. I just don't want to be any, you know, giving that as a... But if... And I just want you to know that my answer differs from man to woman as well. If a man's asking me that, I'm not giving that answer. If a woman asks, is, is saying that, then I'm far more lenient in giving the fatwa. A woman shouldn't be out in the prayer, in my opinion, in the public, in the p perfect of, of weather open in front of everybody, everything to do with uh, shape of the woman, the, the, the wisdom of women praying behind men, sexuality, blah, 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 blah. That comes with that. Public safety, then bad weather, etc. So fatwas are obviously built on multiple kind of factors, right? So Allah knows best. Extreme cold? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I don't know. I mean, I mean, if you're talking like some mental blizzard or whatever, then yeah, okay. But I mean, you know, I've prayed on the A1, which is a road to Newcastle when it was freezing. Fajr, I used to go, I used to, I used to do a locum in the early morning in Newcastle from Manchester. So it's like two, three hour ride. And in the winter time, I had to set off before Fajr. Not normally, more, 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 normally people don't pray, sorry, normally people don't start work before Fajr, right? Uh, or on the road at Fajr time. And that's a nightmare to be on the road to, because obviously it's dark and it's horrible and cold normally, but also because it's time restricted. You have to pray before, so you're under pressure. So I've prayed some killers, man, on the side of the dual carriageway motorway in thingy. So there's no way I'm letting anyone else to get away with it. <laughs> that's, that, that's a point as well, by the way. You know what I mean? You gotta be, you gotta keep in mind, you know, where the people are coming from. There you go, New York City. I can imagine that happening. She got escorted off because she's hardcore. Right, Mahir is saying, can the was on a flight to New York? Other be to avoid people finding out in the case of a new Muslim in front of a family? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What's the question? That can, uh, can uh, a valid excuse be, I don't want my family to know I'm Muslim? Absolutely, because that's beyond psychological abuse or, or anxiety or fear. That has real, real kind of... Uh, uh, and we have text as well from the Quran that when a person is fearing for themselves and they're, they're holding, yani, then al-Iman, hiding their Iman, then it makes it easier. Um, Bilal's question, I think we'll make this the last one. Uh, with regards to the four rakaat sunnah, would there be the Salatul Ibrahimiyyah and remaining dua after the first tashahud? That would make it a little different than Dhuhr. No, it wouldn't. It would be without the Salatul uh, 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 Ibrahimiyyah. I didn't see in the books of fiqh, yani, them taking that out. All right, guys. Barakallahu feekum wa jazakumullah khair. 
I appreciate uh, everyone online putting up with the whole in, uh, online problems. Oh, wait, 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 guys, you're missing the most important part of the sunnah. Let's give, let's give, let's give the sisters the dime, yeah? Because you know, said it's so great and wonderful and nice, whatever, whatnot. Listen, you are right, you are right, you didn't say that, okay? There we go. It's sunnah actually to throw it. it. It really is, by the way. People know that that's, how, that's what we do. All right, there we go. There you go, Lola. All right, this is this is the sunnah that we miss of LP. I need the throwing of the sweets. Great, great sunnah. Well done, Mahbub. Oh yeah, I'm telling you. That's Al Maghrib classes, LP, everything. Guys, Zakmullah Khair, Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, Shadu Allah, Ilaha Ilaha Antwa Stagfiruka Allahumma wa Atubu Alaik. Wassalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. All right. Once you're off, can I ask you a question that might apply?